Um, if you have not experienced the practice and the freedom to be found in rejoicing in the Lord, I hope today is the first of the, of, of the really good days to come of this very practical uh, gift that God has given to those who um, walk and want to walk with Jesus. Um, as I said, rejoice is not a, a word that frequently comes up in our daily uh, world, although <laughs> as God was bringing this message to me, um, started last week, um, lo and behold, as I was looking at the Washington Post of all places, and in a headline it said, rejoice, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, and I thought, well, now that's interesting. <laughs> but uh, the irony is that it was being totally used sarcastically. Mm. As though, yes, in fact, we we look out in our world, we are in these circumstances in our world, in our nation, um, and the, I think the the consensus would be that we don't see a whole lot to rejoice about. So we can be sarcastic about it. To rejoice means to be glad. More than just be happy. Don't worry, be happy. It means to celebrate. It means to take joy in. The message version of the Bible says to revel in, um, but we don't use that word very much either. In the Bible, the word rejoice is often partnered very closely with giving thanks, exalting, glorifying, magnifying God. Magnifying, make bigger. Is it not true that oftentimes we can go through life in our daily, the daily ground, crying, and God somehow seems distant or maybe gets squeezed down into kind of a small, simplistic, manageable idea when in fact God is none of those things. He is, he is vast. He, the paradox of our God is that he is he is so big beyond our imagination, and he is so big in his love and in his glory, and yet he is with us and in us. He is incredibly personal and intimate to us. For most of my life, I have to confess that I have not been a person for whom rejoicing came at all naturally mm. or readily. Mm. I would definitely be described generally as a person who's the glass half full rather than half empty rather than half full. I kind of grew up learning how to always see what was going wrong rather than what was going right. So it is, it is not natural for me, nor have I been wired to do this thing called rejoice, to be happy or to see the positive. Now, I understand that other people are not like that. Other people are, tend to be always half-full people, and praise God for that. Celebrate. Celebrate? Are you kidding me? My background is Scandinavian. 
<laughs> We're known as the Frozen Chosen. So our celebration looks like this. It isn't, it's very restrained. We, we, I was taught as a good, uh, good uh, Scandinavian that we don't want to draw too much attention to ourselves and we don't want to get overexcited, we don't want to overdo. And I also recognize that that is not true of, of the experience of, of many of you in this room. Different cultures have different expressions and freedom to express freely, even with their bodies, right? The joy that they feel inside. So I just want you to know, um, if I'm not preaching to any of you, if, you are, if I'm preaching to the choir and you all have no problem with showing rejoicing, I am challenged in the rejoicing area. So our text today says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Before we get going here, can you bow with me and pray? Pray with me. Oh. Father God, we are so thankful and we do rejoice that you are here with us. And that you are here to teach us by your spirit to open up your word to us. May not be just words or concepts or ideas, but may your spirit go forth and touch our hearts and our minds and our lives that we might be forever changed and transformed more and more in the likeness of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. The word rejoice can be found all through the Bible, but nowhere in the Bible, I think, is rejoice more a theme throughout the whole book than the, Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is especially striking when you consider that Paul, when he wrote this letter, was in prison. He was not in some kind of comfortable place. He is sitting in the prison, and I look for pictures of the prison of, of biblical times, but the pictures <laughs> were all cleaned up. And I don't imagine that the, the pictures, the way I saw them, were at all what it was really like to be in a prison. And they, but like, and they had lights and everything in the pictures. And I don't think there was any you know, electric lights <laughs> in the prisons. And so if we can just step and imagine, here's this guy and he's in prison. And the whole sense of this letter, and I wish we could read the whole letter, because even when he's talking about some of the business of the church, it has a sense that Paul is, he is totally not into the fact that he is sitting in prison, you know, wondering about what's going to happen to him. He is totally over and over again saying to the people of God and, to, and, and reminding himself, rejoice in the Lord. So what exactly does Paul rejoice about or in as he sits in his prison? And what or who makes it possible for Paul, especially in his situation, to be able to authentically rejoice and to unapologetically exhort his brothers and sisters in Christ to do the same? 
And what difference does it make for our growing in our lifestyle discipleship of Jesus and our life together as a community of faith? Though I will be referencing several passages in Paul's letter today, this is our focused letter, uh, focus text for today. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what does Paul rejoice about? Or, not what, but who? Paul rejoices and, ex and exhorts us to rejoice in the Lord, first and foremost. He says to us, he exhorts us, he encourages us, celebrate God. Rejoice in God's nature, in God's glorious plan especially as revealed in Jesus Christ. If we look at chapter 2 of Philippians, we see what is known. We go to, oh, I don't have a slide for that. I don't have a slide because it's kind of long. But the Christ hymn, chapter 2, goes like, you know it, goes like this. Jesus Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not recall equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptying himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow or bend, or in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the believed to be the first hymn, the first song of praise um, that the early church celebrated and recited in the church. And it's totally a summation of the, of the story, the glorious story and the work and purpose of Christ Jesus. Celebrate in who God is. Paul celebrates God's promised presence. Paul reminds us in our text today, the Lord is near. Just as Jesus had promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. Celebrate God's provision, care, and protection. Do not worry about anything because you don't need to. But in everything by prayer and supplication, remember, before he says to pray and to ask God for things, he already has said, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. 
There's a sense in Paul's letter that he's been rejoicing long before he composed this letter. And so he is like pumped up to, and he is, has, he has been moved away from a focus on his own situation that he can pray for the people, his sisters and brothers in Christ, and he can exhort them to rejoice, and he can invite them to pray, and he is joyful about it. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I promise. Paul rejoices about God's transforming work that Paul trusts is occurring in and among and through the followers of Jesus, the church. He is separated from the church. Although he does say in chapter 1 that the church is forming in the prison. <laughs> Paul says in chapter 1 of Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for you, for all of you, because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Paul rejoices in who he knows God to be, and knowing God's plan and purpose in and through Jesus, Paul, even though he cannot actually see what is happening, is confident of and rejoices in God's work in among his brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can rejoice when we're here and we're present with each other and we, we share our stories, however briefly, in our little um, blessed moment. Right? which encourages us, we hope that it encourages us. And we also can rejoice in the body of Christ, in our brothers and sisters in Christ, even when they're not together. How is Paul able to rejoice in spite of his circumstances? In Philippians 1, Paul says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. Amen. Wow. That's a tough statement. He's facing, he's seriously thinking about, I could live or I can die. But because of the support, the prayers of the people, of the church, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, and with Paul's ever-growing knowledge, and trust in God's ultimate plan and promise in Christ. For this life and the next, he can say, it really doesn't matter whether I live or die. It's all good. It's all good. 
Wow. In the example of Paul, God invites all of us who are in Christ to see how essential the community of faith is to each one of us and how essential each one of us is to the community. The community of faith is both a cause of rejoicing in the Lord as well as what supports us in a life of rejoicing in the Lord. Whether we are actually physically present with each other or not, Paul reminds us also of our utter dependence of the promised Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in adoration, and especially for our growing in our knowledge, experience, and trust in God's plan and promises in God, in Jesus. Paul also shows us that with God's help, we can rejoice in the Lord anytime, anywhere. At all times, rejoice in the Lord always, always. How do we practice rejoicing in the Lord? How do we practice rejoicing in the Lord in a way that is not a should or not? How do we practice rejoicing in the Lord that that it is not just a formula, some kind of formula or a ritual? How do we practice rejoicing in the Lord in a way that really helps us receive the gift that God has given us in it to usher us into his magnificent presence with an attitude of love? We rejoice in the Lord together in Sunday worship. We did this morning, um, and that is our goal. As we call to worship, we call each other to worship, we remind each other, we sing songs. But what I have, what God has opened up in my life and the life of my husband Barry is that as we rejoice all week long together and in our individual devotions or our individual moments in life, that it, 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 it begins to grow a habit of rejoicing. And again, I am not naturally prone to rejoicing. And so this has been a really dramatic change in my life. And the more I find that I rejoice during the week, moment by moment, the more I feel prepared to come and truly get lost in rejoicing when we're together and when time is much more limited. In the past, when I come to church, even as a pastor, I could be tremendously distracted and find it difficult to transition into the full presence of God and to truly worship Him with abandonment. But as God has been teaching me, leading me, prompting me in rejoicing always, all the time, it seems much easier to come and worship with you all and support you and encourage you in your worship when I have been doing that. It's, it's, it's preparation. 
So if you will allow me, I would like to share a little bit more briefly about how this has been working in my life. I've been, as I've said, a follower of Jesus for pretty much all of my life. But I, unfortunately, as I've mentioned, have often been an anxious, worried follower of Jesus, striving, because I know that that's not what God wants, striving and striving ever so hard not to be anxious and worried. This was so true of, my, of me all the way from my childhood that my family called me the family worrywart. <laughs> And so it, um, it became part of my identity. It was something that I began to believe was just irreparably true of me, that I was always going to be the anxious one, always the one worrying about things. And though I've spent nearly all my life reading, studying scripture, and learning about and experiencing God um, in all sorts of different ways, it wasn't until a few years ago, as I've said, that I really began to learn and regularly began to practice rejoicing in the Lord. I don't always manage to do that right now, but no worries. Get it? When I relapse, God is there lovingly waiting, patiently waiting for me to do what I say is the first step of our process of rejoicing. And that is to turn to him. So, let's take an example. One of my current challenges, my real current challenges when it comes to rejoicing, is that I love to listen to the news. <laughs> I love to listen to the news because I like to... Um, I also love history, so I like to relate history to what is currently happening. I'm uh, somewhat prophetic, so I like to listen and, and observe what is happening in our world and connect it with what God says about our world. And I like to see God working in our world. And you can't hide away from the world if you want to see how God's out there really working in the world. And so I, I like to stay informed. And I especially right now like to stay informed about what is happening about uh, at the border, what is happening with immigrants and refugees, because I spent um, the last several years teaching English to people who are immigrants and refugees, and I have many dear, 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 dear friends who are immigrants and refugees. So it's very close to my heart. The problem is, is that as maybe is true for you, I listen to the news and I can easily become frustrated and angry and, and I have a sense of helplessness and hopelessness and like, what in the world are we doing? <laughs> but the Holy Spirit more and more as those feelings rise up. Um, Holy Spirit's like he taps me on the shoulder and he says, you have a choice. You have a choice. And I've learned that the choice that he's asking me to make is, I have a choice to stand or sit and stew and rage or complain to my husband or complain to somebody 
Or I could go, I've even felt like, I'm just going to go and sit and write, write an opinion piece for the Washington Post. I'm just going to sit down and let them have it. <laughs> I'm going to put my two cents out there. And maybe, maybe eventually there would be some kingdom reason to do that. But I, can, I have a choice. I can either sit there and stew about it, or the Holy Spirit says, come to me. Come to me. And so I have the sense that I can turn, or the biblical word for it is to repent. I can simply turn towards God in my need, and I do have a need. Because I'm frustrated and angry. I can simply turn to him, and the Holy Spirit meets me. He meets me in all those feelings. And he wants me to learn that I can rejoice in the Lord in all circumstances. And what happens when I make that turn, and instead of coming to God as often I have done in the past, and begin to tell God what he should do about these problems, by saying, would you please do this? Would you please do this? He says, no, stop. Just start rejoicing in who I am. Just start rejoicing in who I am. Now, that's in a difficult situation. We can rejoice when things are going well or when things are neutral. Barry and I have started, we have, we're facing some challenges with um, a family member who we've for many years been anxious about and fearful for. Um, and we finally came to the, to the place where we said, every morning before we get out of bed, we are simply going to enter into a short prayer of rejoicing. We're going to rejoice for the new day. We're going to rejoice for the new possibilities for God to do something in this person's life. We're going to rejoice in the fact that God loves him more than we can imagine. And that, he is doing, that God is doing everything he possibly can to bring this person into health and wholeness. And so that sets the whole tone for the day. Right? We're really not dealing with the trouble stuff yet, but it sets the tone for the day because we have acknowledged God's faithfulness and God's desire to exchange our heavy burdens for his light ones. But back to the whole immigration thing. I turn towards God and I begin to rejoice in the nature and character of God. It might go something like this. Loving Father, in a world full of injustice, I rejoice that you are perfectly and always just. I rejoice that you are always at work in the world for our good. I rejoice that you are light, that there is no darkness or shadow in you, no tricks, no deception, no speak. I rejoice that in Jesus you have revealed to what degree you are for us, all of us, and especially the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant, the stranger. I rejoice that you call me and others and empower us as your partners in defending and meeting the needs of these you love. I rejoice that when truth all around is being twisted and distorted, Jesus, you are the truth. I rejoice that, and I'm so glad that I can depend and trust on you completely and always. I rejoice 
that you lead me in prayer and action. And then I find that I experience a stillness, a rest, in, in this process of rejoicing, which the Holy Spirit has inspired all along the way. Even if at the beginning I can only say, God, you are good. And the Spirit says, uh-huh, and, or, and I am also kind. And I am also faithful. The Holy Spirit leads me in my battery, in my in my rejoicing. I'm not struggling to rejoice. I'm not striving to rejoice. I just feel that, that and the Spirit's going, uh-huh, 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 amen. And I reach the point where I find that I am so captivated by who God is and what he has promised. That my burden, my anxieties, my worry, my all of that has simply, like, my hands have gone boop, and it's gone. I mean, I, it's just not there anymore. Because the, God in his mercy has led me to a place of rest. A place of rest. Now, I am not, I am not saying that this is an exercise in positive thinking. I am not saying it's a denial or escape from real life circumstances. I am not saying that we, it is wrong or not right or that it's not legitimate to feel sad, to have feelings. But as Barry and I went to a funeral yesterday, the pastor said, he said, we grieve when we lose someone. But we don't grieve like those, like those who do not have Christ. We grieve with hope. We are angry, but we don't let the sun go down on our anger. We don't let it take over us. We are frustrated, but God wants to take that frustration and put it to, to use. He wants to create a desire and a drive for us to do do something about it. But it is a transformed negative feeling that becomes a positive force. I am not saying that... Um, I, what I am saying is that God takes our frustration and transforms it through rejoicing and positions us right before our loving Father and puts us in a position of rest where we can receive what God wants to give us. And one of the things he wants to give us is his perspective on our situation. So I can end my, 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 my adoration, my, my, my um, rejoicing, I come up with, Jesus, how do you see this situation? Father, what do you want to do here? What do you want to be for me in this situation that you could not be if I were not in this situation? So I'm not going to, I'm released from telling God how to do his job. I am released 
in rest. And I am receptive to hear and to see, to receive a vision for what God wants to do in this circumstance. That is amazing. That is an amazing gift. God has always the good desire for us. He wants to make good come out of every circumstance. That is the truth. And do we, I know I haven't for most of my life, really enter into that promise. As we rejoice, the Holy Spirit affirms and confirms in our spirit, heart and mind, that He is there. He is in control. He is God. Sometimes we feel a confirmation, a blessing. Sometimes we simply accept and trust. God says it. God cannot lie. It is settled. And the Spirit says, Amen. As we focus more and more on God and our rejoicing, negative or non-life-giving feelings or thoughts are replaced with what Paul reminds us to keep our focus on. Right in our text. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We don't have to strive to think about those things. The Holy Spirit wants to bring all that to us. This is not about something we should do. This is about something that God wants to do in us and bring forth in us. Difficult and good times and all times, rejoicing in the Lord provides us with a glorious entrance into his beloved blessed and makes it possible for us to receive what God wants to say to us directly or through the Spirit or through the Spirit or through Scripture. He wants to give us all the love and compassion, justice and mercy for other people. He wants to give us understanding and vision for how God wants to work in our circumstance. He recasts the situation for us. And, and this is my final point, really important, God wants to give us the desire and the delight that will move us to respond in accordance with God's plan and sustain us in action. I found in my life I have tried to go out and be social, to, to engage in social justice, to, to be faithful, to, to do those things. But when we do it in our own power, when we are not delighted and desiring to do that, the discipline that is required to do it is difficult. But God wants to put us in the desire and the delight in us that then yields the outcome of the discipline to get on with it. And why? Because God wants to get the glory. God wants to be glorified in and through us. And so the joy and the delight that we have in going about and being bold and courageous, told you her truth, she knew this. She could only be courageous and as bold as she was because she knew, she, she took 
She had the desire and delight from God to speak out and to act. Amen? Amen. Rejoicing is a precious ramp into the intimate relationship with God that allows for that two-way conversation with God to find out what God's heart is specifically for the circumstances, any circumstances we face. Amazing gift. Amazing, life-changing gift. In closing, to the persecuted church of Thessalonica and to us, God says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you, for us. Amen. Amen. Amen.